Today's study is called Take Him at His Word. And for me, I mean, you guys might not believe this, but like I was kind of a bad kid at school. It was weird. I was a respectful kid. Like I was, I respected my teachers, but just not enough to like not talk all the time during class. And I was always, me and my best friend Trevor were always the kids who got blamed for everything. Like you could have everyone in the class talking, but we would be the ones who get singled out and sent into the hallway. And many times I would go home and my uh, teacher called my parents and, and told them what a bad kid I was. And I would come home and I'd say, mom, mom, I... I'm not that bad, like everyone else was talking, like I'm not that bad, mom, please take me for my word, mom, take me for my word, and my mom would just be like, nope, you're evil, like <laughs> your teachers are right, go to your room, you're on restriction, like they never believed me, they always took my parents' side, and I actually look back and I think it was a good thing, um, I think a lot of times when parents take their kids' sides, a lot of times it can lead to people being spoiled, but for me I wasn't spoiled, and I turned out okay, so if your parents tell at you for being bad at school and they don't believe you when you tell them your teacher's crazy, you're going to turn out okay. Here's my point, though. My, my point is, do we take God at his word? Do we take Jesus at his word? As much as we want people to believe us, as much as there's been probably many times in your life where you've went to someone and you said, please believe me, take me at my word, do we take Jesus for his word? And maybe you're a church kid and you're super familiar with who you think Jesus is supposed to be. Maybe for you, you know, Jesus in your mind is kind of like Santa. You know, he's always watching, he's got a list, and he's like, you better not make me blot your name off the list by doing something really bad. Like, we can have that idea of Jesus, like, he's up in the sky, like, and he wants to give us gifts, but if we're bad, he won't, he'll give us coal. Um, sometimes we can think of God as like our genie, you know, and it's like, we, we call on him whenever we're really in a jam, and he comes out, and he's like, what can I do for you? Um, sometimes we think of God as just our, our problem solver. You know, he's just there to fix all our problems and make our problems go away, and we don't really talk to him unless we're really going through a bad time. Some of us think of him as like a, a cosmic cop, like a police officer who's just, he's like staring at you like right now. He's looking at you in church, and he's like, pay attention, pay attention, stop looking down, look up. Like that's, <laughs> that's what some of you guys might feel like God is doing right now. Well, I don't, I don't think he is. Um, some of you, though, maybe um, you're here and you're, you, know, you didn't grow up in the church like me. Maybe you've got some misconceptions about who Jesus is. Maybe you think Jesus is judgmental. Maybe you think Jesus is hateful, especially towards certain types of sinners. Maybe you think, maybe you're like, oh, I don't think there's anything wrong with Jesus, but he's, you know, he's a good teacher. That's really all he is, is he's a guy who just teaches people, and he does it well. Or maybe you think you know, Jesus is one of many ways to God. Well, I want to challenge you guys today. I want to invite you to enter into the story and take God for his word when he says who he is and what he does. So as we get into the story, um, there's going to be probably three questions I'm going to ask you guys today. I think three, maybe more. But um, today we're going to ask some questions. And the first question is, where is the honor? Okay? So this is a scene of people in a movie theater and the reason I thought of this is because when I think of where does my honor go, you know, honor is respect and acclamation. Um, for me, right now, a lot of my honor goes into Star Wars Episode Seven. Like, I don't know if you're a nerd like me, but I'm so excited to like, see like, what happened to Darth Vader and like, is Luke a good guy who's going to train the new Jedis or is he a Sith Lord hiding in the desert? Like, like what happened to Luke Skywalker? Like, I'm freaking out about it all the time. And a lot of times that's where my honor goes. I'm giving my respect and my attention to Star Wars. 
For you, what is it? Fill in the blank. Like, what do you give your honor to? Is it a video game? Is it a TV show where you just can't stop talking about it? Is it a band and you're like, oh, this band is the greatest? Or um, maybe it's a person, you know, someone that you just like, you're stalking at school or something. I don't know. And you're just like, this person is the person for me. <laughs> Sounds weird. <laughs> like, not even like a boyfriend, girlfriend type thing. Like, just, I love this person. That's weird. Um, a lot of times our honor can go to a lot of weird places. And you guys know what I'm talking about. We can obsess over things. We can give all of our time or attention to different things in our life that we obsess over. And um, I want to ask you guys, does Jesus get any of that honor? You know, like in the slice of the honor pie, does Jesus get at all as much as he deserves? Well, let's look at um, chapter 4, verse 43, and we'll look a little bit at this honor issue. So uh, verse 43 says, now after the two days, he departed from there and went to Galilee. If you're wondering uh, what it's talking about after he departed, uh, I'm sure so many of you are just like, what happened? Like, um, it's been a few weeks. We uh, last talked about Jesus talking to the one at the well. He tells her about himself. Tons of people get saved. That's what happened. So Um, After the two days, he departed from there and went to Galilee. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. So let's just stop right there and look at that verse, verse 44. This is something where I was like studying and I was like, what do I teach in this chapter? I almost completely just like skimmed over this verse, but I think there's a lot we can pull out of this. So let's just explain what's going on. Jesus has just gotten done like with a revival. He goes to a town, finds a woman at the well, gets her saved, and now like she's going around telling everyone about Jesus. People are getting saved left and right. So Jesus and his disciples are like, where do we go next? And Jesus is like, you know where we're not going to go? We're not going to go to Nazareth. Because Nazareth was Jesus' hometown. And in his hometown, he got no respect. That's what he said. He's like, man, in my hometown, no one cares who I am. In my hometown, people are like, that's just Jesus. He's just the carpenter's son. We know him. We saw him. Like, we, like, he was in our nursery. He was in our daycare. He came to our deli and bought the meat there. Like, the people in his town just, they didn't care. They were like, who's Jesus? Like, who cares about Jesus? So Jesus is like, we're not going to Nazareth. Um, it can be the same way. Like, for us growing up, Um, you know, you could be the most accomplished person in the world, but the people who knew you back in grade school are like, yeah, you're still the guy who wet your pants, like, in class all the time. You know what I mean? Like, you can be a successful businessman. People are like, yeah, but we watched you eat your boogers one time in first grade. So there's that. Um, I remember when I went to school, there was, like, guys who just got no respect in their own hometown. At Calvary, like, the Calvary boys at my school, I don't know if this is how it was for those of you guys who went to Calvary nowadays. Um, I know Calvary's closed down now, but back then, it was like no girl wanted to go out from a guy who went to Calvary. It was like, I want to go to, like, camp and meet a Maranatha boy, and then all my dreams will come true. <laughs> and, like, the Calvary guys, it was like they weren't good enough. If that's how it is now, I don't know. But back then, that's just how it was. They got no respect in their own hometown. Um, Jesus actually had a bad experience in his hometown. In the Gospel of Luke, he comes to Nazareth, and he stops in church, and, you know, it's tradition that, you know, different rabbis, different teachers would come up, and they'd open up the scrolls of the Old Testament, and they start teaching. So someone hands Jesus the book of Isaiah, and he opens it, and he starts teaching, and it's kind of like setting like this, like people are gathered around, they're waiting to hear the teaching from Jesus, and Jesus is this young, like, upstart pastor who's in hometown. He's like, I'm going to teach my first Bible study in my hometown. So he opens it up in Isaiah, and he reads... In Isaiah, it says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. This is Jesus reading. He has put his hand on me to preach the good news to poor people. 
He has sent me to heal those with a sad heart. He sent me to tell those who are being held they can go free. He has sent me to make the blind to see and free those who are held because of trouble. He sent me to tell of the time when men can receive favor with the Lord. So he closes the book and all the eyes on, are on him. You know what I'm talking about, like at home fellowship, like when I call on you and I'm like, all right, what do you have to share? And everyone's looking at you, like expecting you to say something holy. Like that's kind of how it is. Like all the eyes are on Jesus and he closes the book. And then Jesus says, he's like, hey, everything I just read, all that stuff about a Messiah coming to set the captives free and, and deliver people and heal people. Jesus is like, yeah, that's actually talking about me. And when he says that, uh, everyone kind of freaks out and they're like, wait a minute. Uh, did he just say he's the Messiah? We know who the guy is. He's the son of Joseph. He is the son of a carpenter. And remember that time his mom got pregnant and Joseph said he didn't do it? I don't know what was going on there. Like, she says it was an angel, but like, uh, that's weird. Like, Jesus in his hometown got no respect. So then Jesus goes on. He's like, hey, you know what? You guys, you're going to reject me, you Jews, but salvation is going to come to the Gentiles. One day there's going to be British people and American people and German people and Hungarian people and Russian people, and they're going to get saved, and they're going to receive God. And at that point, they get so mad that they chase Jesus out of the town to a cliff, and they try to throw him off a cliff. So it's no wonder that Jesus didn't want to go back to his hometown. So here's where we get to the heart of it. I was thinking about this and I was like, we can read this story and we can be like, you know, uh, what's wrong with those guys? I mean, didn't they realize the gift that they had? They had Jesus Christ in their hometown and they just rejected him. I would never do that. Well, check this out. You know where Jesus' home is now? You know where his hometown is now? It's in your heart. Jesus' home, his hometown, he has made a home in your heart, and so many times when Jesus makes a home in our heart, we can give him no honor in that hometown. Like, he sets up shop in our heart, and we can just flat out reject him. I want to ask you guys this question. Do we honor his word? Has anyone ever, hear, ever heard the expression, familiarity breeds contempt? Anybody? Show of hands. Okay, a few people. All right, so what this means, and I think you'll understand exactly what I mean, is people do not respect someone they know well enough to know his or her faults. In other words, the more familiar you get with somebody, the more faults you see with them. For me, I remember when my baby sister Amanda was born. I was not familiar with her for like the first hour, but then she started screaming and crying and like pooping everywhere, and I was just like, ugh, like, this baby's weird. Like, I don't, I'm familiar with this baby and I'm, I have contempt for it. Um, and then I got to know her better. But you guys know what I'm talking about. It's really why you and your siblings are always trying to murder one another. It's because, you know, when you go to your friend's house, like, it's like, oh yeah, this is great. And, you know, their parents even like you and they're giving you all the special food from the cabinet and stuff. But at home, at home, it's like, you literally, like, like your sibling can do the smallest thing. Like, just the tiniest thing. Like, they can walk up to you and be like, hi, and say it with, like, a crooked eye or something. And, like, you're like, I'm going to kill you, mom. And you can freak out. You know what I'm talking about? Like, it's just how it is growing up. Like, we are way more chill with our friends and the people we only see once in a while. But when it comes to people we live with, we are like, ugh, I want to murder. Like, that's just how we are. Here's my question for you. Um, are you really familiar with God's word to the point where you don't give it any honor? And, I mean, 
I'm number one candidate for this being a pastor's kid. I, I can be the guy who thinks he knows it all. I can look at the scriptures and just go, oh, I've heard all the stories. I've read them. I know it all. Or I can look at the Bible and I can say, oh, no, some people are saying there's contradictions. Some people say it has faults. Did you guys know, Jason mentioned this in his study in the sanctuary in first service. It's something like 75% of kids who grow up in Christian schools and churches, once they go off to college, end up losing their faith. That freaks me out. I think about you guys. I'm like, I want to be you. What happens is a lot of people in college end up losing their faith in the word. Another thing is we don't like the word revealing our faults. You know what I mean? The Bible says the word is like a mirror that shows our faults. So sometimes we can just tune out in a Bible study because we're like, oh, this is going to get uncomfortable. I'm going to get convicted. He's going to say something that's going to like challenge me to try harder. I don't really want to do that, so I'm just going to tune out. Or you can be like, oh, I don't want to really open up my Bible and read it because I just don't want to deal with it revealing the sin in my heart, so I'm just going to go on ignoring the Bible. So we need to realize that the Bible, God's Word, I mean, the reason I picked this picture is because I wanted to show, like, this is kind of what's behind the words. When you're looking at the words, just the text, you can kind of just get lost in it because it's so big. But the whole Bible just paints this awesome story about God creating a world that's beautiful and creating people with a mission for them, for jobs for them to do, and just a desire to love them. And it's this beautiful picture. And then Satan comes in and steals God's family away. It's this great epic story. Every chapter of the Bible is just all about God rescuing his family. And you're a part of that story. And it's so easy for us to just, it's like we look at the Bible and all we really see is just a, the words. And it's just like, oh, this is a history book. But it's really this beautiful thing. It's words to live by. It's not just advice. The Bible is not just a book of advice. The Bible is something God gives us and says, this is the way that you live. And it's so funny the way that we treat God's word sometimes. Um, I think it's really funny. I, I, I saw this video and it was this really funny illustration. There's this girl on the couch and she's texting, you know, and she's just sitting there like hanging out, you know, like you do. And uh, the dad comes up and he says, I told you to clean your room. Your room's filthy. This is like the seventh time I've told you to clean your room. And she goes, dad, I memorized what you said. And the dad's like, what are you talking about? She's like, yeah, I memorized every word. Clean your room. I memorized it. Aren't you proud of me? And the dad's kind of like, uh. She's like, I know how to say it in Greek and Hebrew, too. Um, I can say clean your room in Greek and Hebrew. And uh, tonight, I'm having a small group over, and we're going to discuss the importance of a clean room and why it's like how awesome it is to clean your room and like the benefits of a clean room. It's just going to be this awesome small group. And then me and all my girlfriends are going to a conference next weekend that's just all about clean rooms and just how awesome it is. And it's just, it was like such a brilliant picture. I was like, that's what we do a lot of times in the church. It's like we, like God got a word for us to do, something for us to live our life by, and all we do is just kind of study it and learn like the Greek words for it and memorize it. But do we do it? Do we actually do God's word? The Apostle Peter, Peter <laughs> the Apostle Peter, Peter, Peter. <laughs> oh my gosh. He said, he said to Jesus, Jesus was like, are you guys going to abandon me? And Peter said, no, you have the words of life. There is no way we would leave you. Peter realized God's words are the words of life. A disciple is someone who follows God's word. It's like you kind of, it's like, it's like you don't just have a Bible verse tattooed on your arm. You have it tattooed on your heart where it's not going to go away. Do we honor God with our mind? And I just want to encourage you guys. 
meditation is something that's important. I don't think I mean like, you know, like, oh, like don't, I mean, whatever, like, I don't care. Like if you wanna like take a yoga class and like get weird, like whatever. But this is what I'm talking about. Meditation in the sense of the Bible, the word meditate, it's, it, it's the same word used when we talk about cows chewing their food. You guys ever heard that before? It's like, so there's a cow, it goes to the grass, chews it up, and it like, a cows have like four stomachs, so it's like they chew it up and it goes into like one stomach, and then they like barf it back up and like chew it some more, and it goes into another stomach, and like so on and so forth with the four stomachs. And you're like, Aaron, that's disgusting. But that's what God calls us to do with his word. Now, if you start ripping pages out of your Bible and eating them, you've got the wrong idea. But God calls us to like absorb into his word and, and like steady it. And like when you open up your Bible in the morning, look at God's word. And then just take like, if you try to take a whole chapter in, a lot of times you're just gonna be like, oh my gosh, it's too much. But find something in there that God is speaking to you about. And then just take it into your heart and just chew on it throughout the day and then bring it back up and then absorb it back down and bring it back up like, I just want to ask you guys, when was the last time God's word literally couldn't get out of your mind? When was the last time you read something in your devotions or you heard something in a study that you literally just couldn't stop thinking about and you just had to keep chewing on, you had to keep bringing back up? If that's not happening, ask the Lord to make it happen for you. Like, have that desire. It's a two-way street. You have to have the desire to love God's word. Here's the next question. Do we honor his voice? I'm going to call some of you out. Some of you don't really believe that God wants to talk to you. Just straight up. You don't really think about it. You're just like, God wanted to talk to me? Like, I don't know. Like, it makes sense that I'd hear a Bible study. Maybe I'd hear something that interests me. But like, God wanting to talk to me? Guys, that's exactly why Jesus came and died. He came not just to forgive your sins. He came so that you could have intimacy with him closeness with him like do you realize that in the garden of eden the original thing that man and god had was a relationship they walked together they talked together god gave them like just desires and missions like he spoke to them he's like guys this is what i have for you this is my desire for you today i love you so much let me encourage you that's what adam and eve had that's what they lost when they sinned and that's what jesus died on the cross so that people could have again that's huge Another thing that Jesus came to do was to give us our identity. Like, for many of us, you might think, like, we'll never be royals. So lame. You will. Like, that's your identity. Your identity is royalty. Your identity is you are a son of the king. You're a daughter of the king. Like, God has a mission for you to follow him and realize who you are. Like, this whole world, it's for you. God made this for you, and heaven is for you. And so many times we walk through life just bummed out and disappointed. We don't get what God has for us. I just want to show you guys really quick. Check this out. I just want to give you guys an example of how to kind of read your Bible and just get stuff out of it. And this is just from my devotions. Like, I'm just going to throw up, uh, this is just Isaiah. And I was kind of scared of Isaiah. I was like, oh, Isaiah, like, it's Old Testament. I'm kind of a New Testament guy for devotions. I love reading about Jesus. I love reading about Paul. But I was praying, and God was like, go look at Isaiah. And I was like, all right. I'll check it out. So I start reading, and I can't see it, so I'm going to walk over here. Um, so it starts out in Isaiah chapter 1. Hear me, you heavens. Listen, earth, for the Lord has spoken. I, I can't read that. I reared children and brought them up, and they've rebelled against me. So it's starting out talking about how God's got these rebellious children. So I'm tracking with it. Um, he says, these people, people, their guilt is great. 
They've forsaken the Lord. And then it says, from the sole of your foot to the top of your head, there's no soundness, only wounds and welts and open sores, not cleansed or bandaged or sued with olive oil. So I'm reading this and, and God's just speaking to me. And he's like, Aaron, when you sin, when you mess up, when you don't turn to me, you, it's like you've got these open wounds and you're just, you're in rebellion and, and you're running from me and they're not bandaged up. You need to come to me, the doctor, and let me work on you. So I'm just reading through it. Verse 11 said, um, the multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough of burnt offerings. Then verse 13, stop bringing me meaning offerings. Uh, your incense is detestable to me. I'm weary of bearing them. So, you know, I'm reading that. I'm just like, man, like what I'm getting from this is God is not all about show. He's not about like being religious and coming to church and like just, you know, raising your hands and doing it for show so that people think you're holy. God actually looks at the heart. Uh, obedience is better than sacrifice. And I'm just reading through it again. And it says, when you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I'm not listening. Your hands are full of blood. That verse kind of bummed me out because I was like, man, like, does that mean that when I mess up, like God doesn't hear my prayers? And, and I'm just, I'm thinking about, you know, what Israel's going through at this time. And I'm, I'm just reading through it. Um, and then it was cool. Um, I'm going to skip down to verse 18. It says, come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. And when I read that verse, I was like, oh, yeah, that's all about Jesus. Like, what an encouragement, because in that verse, it's like, you know, when you pray, like, I'm not listening to you because you're too much of a sinner, and I'm just, I'm all, I'm all bummed out, and I'm, I'm realizing that's what God's saying to Israel at that moment, but it's because they're disconnected. Israel and God are disconnected, but then, then there's a verse about Jesus, and it reminds me that because of Jesus, now there's not a point where God's not going to hear my prayers. And, and when I mess up, when I fall down, God lifts me up and picks me up. And then it was really cool. I just want to encourage you guys, like, God, when you, when you obey him and read the Bible, like, he will speak to you specific things that are going on in your life. And it's super weird how this happens. I have no idea how it happens, but somehow God's word being alive, like, reaches into your life and often speaks exactly about what you're going through. So verse 17 said, Learn to do right. This is just me. This is just my experience. I'm reading my devotions. It says, learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. Now, when I read that, I was just kind of like, oh, sweet verse, you know, help some widows. Well, two days later after reading that, I found myself spending my entire day helping a widow and a kid who didn't have a father. And it was just, it was my whole day. And I was like serving the Lord and like just, you know, spending my doing that, like helping them with their problems. And that verse just came back and hit me hard. And I went to the Bible and I was like, wait a minute, did I read that? And I pulled it open and I was like, wow, like God was preparing me in my devotions on Monday for what I was going to be facing on Wednesday. And I just want to encourage you guys. It's available for you. Like this isn't, like this, me getting that stuff, it's not because I went to Bible college. I did one semester. Like I did not pay attention because I met a really attractive girl named Brooklyn and I stared at her the entire class instead of taking notes. So um, what I'm saying is you don't have to be a Bible scholar to get stuff out of the word. You can open it up and you can just look at it and God will speak to you. So let's go to the third question. The third question is, do we honor his reputation? Reputation's important, you know? Who knows what an ambassador is, anybody? When I think of like a modern ambassador, when I think of like you girls, I've seen this before, especially in junior high. So 
I mean, I don't know if this still happens, you know, <laughs> but in junior high I did, I remember, I would see a junior high girl would have a crush on a junior high boy, but she would not want to tell that boy, so instead she would send her friend as an ambassador to the boy to do some investigative journalism and find out if there was any interest. So, girls, when you do this, if you still do, um, when you pick the friend to go talk to the boy, you are sending her as your ambassador. She represents you. So she goes over and she's just like, yeah, like, she totally has thoughts for you. And like, you should marry her right now. Okay, bye. Like, if that happens, like, she has totally ruined everything and really mis misrepresented you. I think the same way, though, as Christians, a lot of times we, misrepre we, we misrepresent Jesus. He has a reputation. He's a healer. He's a hero. He died. He sacrificed. He went through so much. He suffered, and he told his disciples, you would suffer for the gospel. But a lot of times, I feel like as Christians, we really misrepresent him. Um, Evan Wickham, my old youth pastor, wrote this song called Make Us One, which is a great song. And there's a verse in here that just hit me because I realized as I was listening to the words, I was like, he's talking to the church in his song. It's, it's kind of a critique. And so in the song, Evan writes, a barren wasteland, burning cold. It's like, as the church, a lot of times we think we have so much. We're so big, but really it's a wasteland. And we think we're on fire. We think, you know, we're burning. But really a lot of times it's just, it's a coldness. It's a, it's a burning cold because we don't have love for people. We're just excited about who we are, but we don't love the lost. And it says we are a graveyard. And when I think of that, I think of when Jesus talked to the Pharisees. He said, you guys are whitewashed tombs. And what that means is you guys are like guys who, like, you're in the grave and you stick out your skeleton hand to, like, polish the grave and make it all shiny and you want the grave to be beautiful but you're still dead and if if we just come and play church if we just come and pretend to be holy but there's no fire in our hearts for Jesus we're, we're a graveyard it doesn't matter how loud we sing if there's no real love for Jesus or commitment to him it says we're the darkness and you're a thousand stars I love that line because it says no matter how dark we get you know because a lot of times as the church we can look at the world and say the world is the problem all those sinners out there being sinners it's terrible. They're bad. Like, that's what we can think, that sinners are just, but honestly, a lot of times, it's our own darkness. It's our, it's our hate for sinners, our, our judgmentalism towards sinners, but God is a thousand stars. Jesus, like, if you guys don't know, like, no matter how dark the night sky gets, if stars out, they, they will shine. You will see them. The light always defeats the darkness. So what I love is even as a Christian, when there's darkness in my life, Jesus is there shining through, just waiting to break through. And I love the last line, the wrecking ball for our wounded walls. Because a lot of times as Christians, we put up walls. We put up walls and we say, these are the walls that keeps the Christians in and safe and keeps all the bad people out. And they're walls that are wounded because they hurt people and they make people outside the church think, man, Christians hate us. Christians, like, just, they want us to go die. Like, like Christians, they think we're the worst people. God wants to break down those walls between us and the lost and say, church, go out and reach people. Go out and save people. And... Um, you know, I think a lot of times our problem is we kind of suffer from this discount knockoff Christianity. Um, and I want, I, I want to use um, Trevor as an example, not that he was a discount knockoff Christian. Trevor is authentic. He is a good Christian. But just something that happened on a day um, that just reminded me of this. I remember, um, so one day we went out street witnessing. By the way, is anyone excited to start that back up? We're going to, in January, go out street witnessing again. I'm excited. Love doing that with you guys. 
Um, so there was one time where we took everyone out, and Trevor, you'll, you'll remember, like we spent the whole day talking to people, witnessing, it was awesome, um, just lots of good times, and then we ran out of time, you know? So we're driving away. Well, Trevor, being super passionate about witnessing, he was like, I don't have time to have conversations with people because we're driving by. So instead, I'm just going to give him some drive-by gospel. And I'm just going to yell at the window, Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you to like people on the street. And it was great. It was awesome. I, I, I commended him. But this is, I think, a problem that we see is a lot of Christians, that's all they're really willing to do. Like, Trevor, you're awesome. You're preaching the gospel today. But some Christians... Literally, like, they'll see a homeless person sitting on the street, and they're asking for help, and it's just, oh, God bless you, Jesus loves you, oh, like, praise the Lord, okay, bye, like, I'm going to go eat a Big Mac, like, that's just kind of how we can be, it's just, and when all people get from us is just, oh, Jesus loves you, like, Jesus loves, if that's all they get, that's discount knockoff Christianity, who likes discount knockoff things, not me, like, these toys, like, <laughs> Space Boys 3, <laughs> fail, <laughs> Not what it's called. Or uh, Dragon Power Ranger. I, I don't know even what that's supposed to say. This is my favorite. Star Knight. Darth Vader on a police cycle. These cheap knockoff toys made in sketchy countries. This one's pretty great, too. It's like Spider-Man. They got the name right, but what he does, I mean, <laughs> he's got a straw hat on, <laughs> some kind of weird apron. He's like fishing. <laughs> And then he's an archer because the web didn't work good enough. And I, I think he's using a spider as bait for fishing. I just realized that. That's terrible. My all-time favorite, though, is just dogs. <laughs> just, I don't think those are what you think they are. Okay, so, yeah, here's, here's the point. Guys, we got to be better than that. We got to be better than discount knockoff Christianity. We got to be the real deal. I think a great illustrator for this is there's right now on social media a bunch of uproar about Starbucks new coffee cups because they don't say Merry Christmas on them. And so there's even this guy on Facebook, he's a, he's a pastor, or he, he used to be a pastor, he's an ex-pastor, but he gets online and he starts complaining and he's like, yeah, like, man, they're going to take away Merry Christmas from us. Well, we're going to stick it to them. I'm going to go to Starbucks, and I'm going to tell them my name is Merry Christmas so that they have to write the name on it, and then the cups will say Merry Christmas. Go, Jesus. And I was just like, like, much better idea. Instead of passive-aggressively trying to force these employees to, like, do something they don't want to do, leave a really big tip for the barista and give her a note with the tip about how much Jesus loves her. Or sit down in a Starbucks and like with a stranger, share the gospel with them or buy a cup of coffee for a homeless person because there's always so many homeless who come to Starbucks and share the gospel with them. Much better solutions to the problem of people needing to hear the gospel. A lot of times, it's kind of like this situation. I remember one time I came to the church. It was like two in the morning. I can't remember why. I'm always here at random times. Last night, I was here till three in the morning setting stuff up, they, they did floor work here, and they were like, oh, we'll just unplug everything. That won't mess them up for church on Sunday. Wrong. So I was here till like three in the morning doing all that stuff. Um, and um, there was another time though I was here at two, and I saw smoke in the building. Like there was just smoke. Like literally the hallways of the church were filled with smoke, and it smelled like burning. And I was like, oh no, my home. Because I, 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 I've been in this building since second grade, you have to understand. So it's been a long time. Like, this building's pretty special to me. Like, uh, to be honest, I never even hoped we'd get another building. I just, I love this building. So, 
Um, yeah, I thought everything's burning, so I run to the kitchen where the smoke is, and I'm, I'm like looking for a fire extinguisher. Well, there was smoke, but there was no fire. It was just a bunch of the men from the men's ministry hanging out in the kitchen, like making sausages <laughs> for like the men's breakfast at like two in the morning. There was smoke, but no fire. For some of us, Christianity, it's a lot of smoke. It's a lot of praise the Lord and, oh, man, I love Jesus. But where's the fire? Is there fire in our hearts that says, I want to go serve Jesus? I want to love my parents, even though they get on my nerves sometimes. I want to help my little brother or sister in the name of Jesus. I want to go out and reach the lost. Even if my youth group doesn't take me out for a day of witnessing, I just want to, on my own, reach the people at my school. We have to ask the question of, are we fans or are we followers? Are we fans of Jesus where we kind of everything Jesus says, it's like if Jesus was on social media, you'd always be the one to like. Jesus posts an Instagram. He posts a Twitter. He posts a Snapchat. It would be weird if Jesus had Snapchat. Uh, it's like him like walking on the water, just a bunch of, yeah, anyway. Um, and we're always the one to hit like. It's just always like. I like Jesus. Man, I really like Jesus. Liking Jesus won't get us anywhere. We have to actually follow him. We have to actually walk in his footsteps. Look at, uh, go back to the verse, where are we? We're in verse, let's see. Zooming in, enhance. Verse 45 says, So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things he did in Jerusalem at the feast, for they had also gone to the feast. I'm going to read you guys a different translation that spells it out pretty clearly. This is from The Message, which is a good Bible to read, not for your personal devotions because it's kind of a paraphrase. But it's awesome to read side by side because it gives you a little bit more in-depth um, explanation. So here's another way to say it. So when he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, but only because they were impressed with what he had done in Jerusalem during the Passover feast, not that they really had a clue about who he was or what he was up to. I think that's, that's such a good, like, they're, they're, they're excited about what Jesus is doing. They're, they're like, oh, yeah, you know, I heard Jesus healed a bunch of people, and, you know, he turned water into wine. That was really cool. But it says they didn't really know who he was or what he was even up to. And I think that's just us a lot of the times. A lot of the times we're going through our Christian life, but it's like, do we really truly know who Jesus is? Do we really truly know who we are in Christ, his children, his disciples? Like, do you realize, like, just, like, seriously, like, do, like, do, do you realize, like, you, 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 like, you, not me, not him, not her, you, like, you are a disciple, like, with God given talents and gifts and responsibilities and a mission right now that he has for you, obviously to preach the gospel, but there are specifics. There are specifics in your life, specific things to do, and the, the greatest tragedy in the world to me is a young person who has time and is single, which is probably most of you. Um, no offense, but just, I mean, I, I haven't heard anything. Um, there haven't been any official statuses, you know, so unless there's covert operations going on. Um, <laughs> such a funny phrase for it. But listen, listen, listen. You have been given specific things by God. The, the greatest waste that I can think of as a young person like you going through their teenage years without really knowing what those are. And I can't tell you what those are. If you come up to me and you're like, Aaron, like, what's my purpose? Like, what does God have for me right now? I'm going to tell you, pray. Like, you go. 
you study the Bible, you pray, you have your devotions, you ask Jesus, God, what can I do for you right now? And then when he shows you, you do it, and you, you can never go wrong with that. Like, I'm so glad that when I was uh, 15, you know, God put it on my heart to, actually, no, it wasn't even that. I got hired to come up to a junior high camp and film it, you know? But afterwards, uh, Trevor O'Keefe was like, hey, you should help out with junior high. I'm so glad I did because, you know, now I'm here with you guys, and it's, it's been this, like, journey. Like, it's been 10, 11 years now. It's been awesome. It's been so cool to watch you guys grow up. I've been a counselor for some of your older brothers and sisters. Like, when I look back, I'm just like, wow, God, I'm so glad that I, I just I did what you told me to do. For, for me, um, you know, when God told me to go to England, you know, I could have just been like, eh, how about Hungary? How about Russia? Those places were cool. I've, I'd been to those places. It would have been cool to go back. But God told me to go to England, and when I did, I met the most amazing, beautiful girl. You know, Brooklyn, she's, she's everything. She's my wife. Oh, my gosh, I love her to death. Like, my goodness. Um, I mean, there's so many things. Like, there's, there's decisions that I made when I was 15 or 16 that radically impact and shaped who I would become today. And looking back, I'm so glad I didn't say no to those things and miss those opportunities God had for me. I'm so glad I didn't just like put them off or say, not today, you know, maybe tomorrow. I did that a couple of times. That actually haunts me. There's a few things that God told me to do and I was like, nope, not gonna do that. That's too crazy. And I think back and I'm like, what if I would have said yes? Like what would happen? Like where would I be now? Like what in my life would be different? Like what blessing would I have? So I, there are some regrets there. I want to, I mean, please, please don't have a saved soul and a wasted life. I beg you, as your older brother, like, I love you guys. Like, like, it's not about like, oh, he's the pastor, so he has holy things to do. No, I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus, and so that's why I have things to do. And guess what? You are too, and that's why I'm here, is to tell you, don't just, don't just go through life just doing your thing. Go through your life and do Jesus' thing, and he'll help you do your thing much better, if that makes sense. Like, he wants you to know right now. I really, this is, this, this, all this stuff isn't even my notes, but I just, I feel like the Holy Spirit right now is like, hey, say this. Like, there's some of you guys right now, I feel like, I feel like God is, I don't, I don't know who though. Like, there aren't specific people in my mind, okay? So don't feel like I'm judging any of you. But what I'm saying is right now, God is telling me there are people in this room that, you know, he's been calling you to something, you know, maybe it's really simple, maybe it's just, hey, give up this thing, or maybe, hey, do this, or submit this way, or give up this sin, or, or honor your parents this way, and, and you just, like, are running from it, because you don't want to do it, because you're like, this is gonna just affect my life in a negative way, and I can't do what I want, guys, doing what Jesus wants is always so much better, you're always so much more blessed in the end, I have nothing but regrets for the times that I did what I wanted to do over what God wanted me to do, but I have nothing but good things to say about the times that I accepted God's plan for my life and went with it. So moving on from that, we're going to just take just really quickly, just go through just this idea of like, why do we seek wonders? And we'll understand in the text what that's about. Look at verse 46. So Jesus came again to Cana of Galilee where he had made the water wine. Verse 46, verse 47. When he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and implored him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Verse 48. 
Then Jesus said to him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you'll by no means believe. So what's happening is there's this guy, he comes to Jesus, he's like, Jesus, please heal my son. There's this huge crowd around, and Jesus is like, man, unless you guys see me do miracles, you're not going to believe in me. Why won't you just take my word? Why won't you just take my word? Now imagine, this is like, this is kind of weird, because we know Jesus is the guy who just goes around and heals people and blesses people. So now there's this guy with a dying son, and Jesus takes this opportunity to kind of make this like, like, like complaining statement towards the people, like, man, all you guys ever want me to do is just to heal people and do stuff. Like, why don't you just believe who I am? You'll be so much more blessed. Well, I know people who have said that, have had that mentality before, kind of like, yeah, I know, I know that God loves me and wants to bless me and wants to speak to me, and I know I could literally just go home today and open up my Bible and pray and God would speak to me, but I'm going to wait till camp, because at camp, like, that's when God does big things. That's when God, like, really speaks to me, and the worship is, like, really emotional, and, like, Ben Corson comes up, and it's just like, whoa, it's amazing, and, like, don't get me wrong. Ben Corson is amazing. Worship is awesome at camp, but... I think Jesus would say, like, why do we seek signs and wonders? Like, why is that what it's all about? In fact, this is my story. I'll just go through it quickly. When I was uh, 16, I remember helping out at a junior high camp. I was a counselor. I'm having a great time, you know, and it's the last night of camp. And you guys know last night of camp is cry night, right, where everyone's just like, oh, like the Lord, ah, weeping. Uh, and gnashing of teeth. It's like hell. No, I'm just kidding. Um, it's awesome. It's actually my favorite night. I love praying with people. Like I just, I love like being able to be there for people and pray for them and, and speak into their life. Um, so I remember it was this one night, you know, I'm a counselor and Trevor and Lindsay went up to the front and they told me to like hang out in the back. So I'm hanging out in the back and like, I'm like listening to Phil Wickham play and like everyone's crying around me. And I'm just like, what's wrong with me? Because I usually get really emotional at these things, and I feel nothing. I feel kind of dead inside. Maybe you've ever had that moment, like where you're at camp or you're at church, and like everyone else is like, oh, emotions, and you're just like, eh. And I just, I literally just felt so much like, I really feel like I should be feeling something right now, but I don't, and that's kind of weird, and now I'm questioning if I'm saved or not. Uh, this is awkward. And I remember God spoke to me really clearly, and he was like, Aaron, go stand in the corner. And I was like, oh, I guess I'm in timeout now. <laughs> like, it's like punishment. But I went and stood in the corner, and God spoke to me. And he, I was just sitting there. I was looking at Phil play the music. I was looking at everyone worship and cry. And God spoke to me really clearly. It was one of those moments where God really spoke to me. Um, and he said, Aaron, I want you to know my relationship with you has nothing to do with how you feel. It has everything to do with who I am and what I've done for you. And that just, like, hit me. And it stuck with me ever since because I know, and I've been able to tell other people who struggled with the same thing when they were my age, there are times where I'm super emotional about Jesus. Like, there are times where, like, I literally just cry because I'm so blown away by the gospel. There are other times where I'm sitting in a great message or a great worship service and I feel nothing. But I can always go back to that time where I remember when Jesus told me that who I am is all about who he is. It's all about what he's done in me. It's all about what he did on the cross. And so that means that no matter how I feel, because emotions are chemical and God put them in us and sometimes we get weird with that and sometimes we don't have the emotions that we want to have and sometimes our emotions are all over the place. So you know what I'm talking about. And it's just like, it's, it's crazy. Well, it doesn't matter. 
God blesses us with emotions, but that's not what it's about. It's not about the emotion and the feel-good stuff. It's just about Jesus. And if you can hold on to that, you can get through those times where you kind of feel emotionless inside, and you can get through those times where you're just full of emotion and you're overflowing with emotion. You can get through it because you can always fall back on, I am saved because of what Jesus did. I am loved because of who Jesus is and who I am in relation to him, his kid, saved, secure. It's awesome. So, signs and wonders are not the goal. Focusing on big emotional experiences, it's kind of like dating a chef, a chef, <laughs> a chef. That H is important. It's like dating a chef just because you want three course meals all the time, and the chef like wants like a relationship, like wants to go on dates with you. You're like, no, just make me food, make me three course meals, make me gourmet meal, chef. You're dating a chef and you don't even call him by his name. It's just, hey, chef. Hey, chef. <laughs> That's what we do to God sometimes, though. It's just like, God, give me experiences. Give me emotions. Guys, the whole purpose of miracles is to show the greatest miracle of all, Jesus saving mankind. That's the greatest miracle. Jesus is the greatest miracle. I love miracles. I believe in miracles. There was a guy who came to our church. This is the real deal. He was a guy who'd come in to clean. He was blind. And he'd come in with his, his handicapped girlfriend, and they'd, they'd just like kind of putter around with like rags and like wipe down the walls. I remember seeing this guy. He had to wear those dark glasses, and he was so blind, he'd walk into walls sometimes. So we have a night where um, we're just showing that video about the gangsters. You know, remember that video? And, uh, you know, the guy comes out and says, hey, who wants to accept Jesus? The, the blind guy goes forward, and he doesn't say, hey, please heal my blindness. He just goes up to receive Jesus. He prays. He asks Jesus to come into his life. All of a sudden, his eyes open up. He can see the guy's driving a car now. And all of us on church staff are just like, what on earth? Like, this doesn't happen a lot, but I believe it does. All over the world, I believe miracles are happening, and God is doing things. It's It's awesome. I believe in miracles, but that should never be what we look for. Like, that, or that should never be the focus is what I'm saying. If you're always looking for the next emotional experience, if you're always just, if like every church service, every camp, every conference just has to be this big emotional thing and that's all you look for, you're gonna miss Jesus because you're just looking for the emotions. The miracles are great, the emotions are great as long as they point us to the greatest miracle of all. But we have to learn that Jesus is there no matter what. So when you go to a church and there's lots and smoke machines and a big band concert and it's just awesome and it sucks you in, that's a good thing. I don't, like, I know that's not what we are here. Like, we're very, like, mellow and, like, just, you know, down to earth. That's awesome. But big concert churches, those are rad. I love those things. Like, I would never speak ill against them. I think some people do. Some people get weird about it. I think it's awesome because it points to Jesus. Like, God is great. He's big. God created light. Like, let's throw some lights in. It's, it's awesome. It's great. It's cool. Like, it's not like, oh, that's weird. Like, no, it's, it's awesome. But I need to be at the same place where when I go to that church and I just get sucked into the worship and it's great, I need to also be able to go on a missions trip to Hungary and go down into a basement where there's a Hungarian man playing an acoustar with it's his voice is out of tune, his guitar is out of tune, and there's 10 people down there in that basement singing with off-key voices. I need to be able to find Jesus there too because he's equally there. Does that make sense? Like he's not just in the big show. That's awesome. He's also in the... the the uncomfortable, weird, strange moments that we find ourselves in. He's, he's there on Sunday when the projector breaks and everything's going wrong and, and a guitar string breaks and, you know, it's just, it, he's there. 
He's there in those moments, and we, he wants us to find him. So here's, here's the last thing, last point, and then I'm going to invite Katie up. His last, the, my last thing is just, is his word good enough for you? Is God's word good enough for you? Like, will you take him for his word? Let's look at what the text says. Verse 49. So remember, there's this guy. He's begging, Jesus, please heal my son. Please, Jesus, come down before my child dies. And Jesus says to him, go your way. Your son lives. Now imagine, like, if that were me, what I would honestly assume is that Jesus is a celebrity. He's got crowds of people around him. He's busy. He doesn't want to deal with me. So if I'm like, Jesus, please heal my son. Jesus is just like, yeah, yeah, your son's, he's fine. Like, just go home. He'll be great. He'll be, he'll be fine. That's how I would take it. That's not, what, that's not how Jesus meant it. That's how I would take it. I would think, he's trying to get rid of me. And I'd grab him. I'd be like, no, Jesus, please. Like, you have to come to my house right now to heal my son right now or he's going to die. Well, check out the faith of this guy. So the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him. It wasn't, Jesus didn't sit down and give him a Bible study. He didn't sit down and say, hey, listen, like because of Genesis chapter four, if you connect it to Leviticus chapter three, like you'll see that God will provide for you. Like he didn't do that. Like literally all Jesus said was like, hey, go home. Your son's gonna be fine. This, the, this, like the man had so much faith. The man, verse 50, believed the word that God spoke to him and he went his way. And as he was going now down, his servant met him and told him, saying, your son lives. Isn't that great? Look at, the, look at the words. Your son lives. Your son lives. It's the same thing. It's like, like, like I'm sure that when he came home and the servant was like, hey, your son lives. Like, not like, hey, your son's alive. Or like, hey, you're not going to believe that your son is totally fine. Like, the same words. Your son lives. And he knew in that moment, wow, when Jesus says something's going to happen, it happens. I can take Jesus for his word. So then verse 52, he inquired of them the hour when he got better. And they said, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the father knew it was at the exact same hour in which Jesus said to him, your son lives. And he himself believed and his whole household. This again is the second sign Jesus did when he came into, out of Judea into Galilee. Um, Katie, you want to come back up here and uh, we'll just get ready to enter into another song. This is the last thing I want to ask you guys. Because I think, because you guys are human, some of you guys are probably dealing with problems right now. There are issues. There are things you're waiting on. There are problems that are not solved. There are things in your life that are difficult. And you go to God and you say, God, can you please help me? Can you please take care of this issue? This is my question. We only have faith in God if he does things exactly the way we want him to. Like, think about how many Bible characters there would have been whose stories would have been so much less awesome if they got what they wanted, you know? Like, think about Daniel. Did Daniel want to be thrown in the lion's den? No. If you gave him that option, like, hey, Daniel, what would you rather have? God throwing you into the lion's den, you having to like brave a night with lions, or God just like killing all the lions and all the evil guys and like making you president? Daniel probably would have been like, let's go with that one. That sounds awesome. But that's not as cool a story as Daniel surviving the lion's den. It's God bringing him through that. Same thing with David. With David, like he's this little guy. Like if you gave him the option, like David, do you want to fight a giant? Or would you rather have God just like go in and stab the giant and then like make you giant and then you're huge and like everyone's afraid of you? David probably would have been like, yeah, let's do that. Let's do the one where I become a huge giant. 
be so rad. But how much better of a story is it that God uses this little nothing nobody to defeat Goliath? And think about Jesus. Remember, he was in the garden on his knees saying, God, there's any other way. If, I, if there's a way where I don't have to go to the cross, if there's a way I don't have to die. And God said, this is what we're going to do. And Jesus said, your will, God, is better than mine. That's awesome. So as we just, as we enter into this song of worship, I just want to encourage you guys. Remember, you can take God at his word. What's his word? What does his word say? Think about it. Think about it. What does his word say? His word says, you're loved. You can take his word for it. His word says that he loved you so much he died for you. You can take his word for that. And his word says that he has an awesome plan for you and for me and for this world. And no matter what you go through, no matter what trials you face, no matter what difficulties, you can know that God is always there and he's always wanting to help. He's always there and he's always looking at the worst situation that you're in saying, I want to change this situation for my best. That's how much he loves you. You can take his word. And if you don't know what his word is, look in front of you. It's right there. Steady it. Love it. Look into not just one book of the Bible. Look at the whole thing. See the whole picture. See that God traveled through time and space, met a man named Abraham, started a family called Israel to birth Jesus into the world, to die on a cross for you. That's amazing. You can count on God's word. You can take him at his word. Let's pray. Lord, we just ask that you would help us, God, to take you at your word, no matter what we're struggling with. Lord, there's people in here who are struggling with doubts and fears. Help them, God, to know that they can take those doubts and fears to you, that they can come and confess their hearts. They can pour out their heart to you. They don't have to be perfect. They don't have to be flawless. They don't have to be a super smart, intelligent Bible college Christian. They just need to come with the heart of a child that just says, God, I love you, but I don't understand what's going on in my life. I don't understand these trials. I don't understand these problems. God, the weight is so heavy. The problem is so hard. The hill is so high. Help them, Lord, to take your word. Help them, Lord, to know that you want to carry them every step of the way. Help them, Lord, to know that every time they fall down and think they're not good enough, that you are willing to pick them back up. God, thank you that the Bible shows us that your plan has always been to renew and restore, to fix brokenness. And one day you'll do that with everything, with the whole world, with all the evil, with all the wickedness. But right now where we are, God, we've, we've got to get through this time. And God as we go through this difficult time being humans in a fallen sinful world we thank you that you, we can take you at your word that you will be with us during the journey every step of the way that you will be fixing our brokenness every day that we come to you thank you jesus that we can count on you and take you at your word we love you god we just want to lift you up and worship right now in your name